Welcome to the Rise to the Challenge podcast. Joining you today, he's a type 1 diabetic, entrepreneur, and BMX athlete. It's Douglas Laird. How are you doing today, Douglas? Hey, I'm good. I'm good. I like that that intro. That sounds nice. It's got a nice ring to it. <laughs> We're so excited <laughs> to have you on the show to talk about your Rise to the Challenge what we like to do with all of our guests is go right to the beginning. Talk about where you're from and what were you involved in growing up? Um, yeah, let's see. So I'm from a small town in Arizona. And throughout my whole life, it was just traditional sports, you know, play uh, soccer, football, baseball, all that stuff. And it was, it was solid. Um, I didn't mind it too much. And then I got older and went through those sports. During basketball, I faked asthma. Um because oh. I really, I hated running. And so I, I got asthma and then I didn't have to run as much. And, uh, but yeah, so small town, Arizona, I played some traditional sports early on and uh, yeah. Those traditional sports, was there a reason that you got into those or was it just something that you kind of found and you just wanted to do at the time? I think it's just something that you're pushed into early on, like kids in general, you, you see, I mean, other people play those sports and maybe it's a babysitting service. I don't know, but, <laughs> but yeah, your parents get you into the sport and, and I did enjoy it. Like I, I definitely did, but, um, it was, I found BMX. So my mom was playing, um, softball and I was hanging out with her. I was probably 12, 13. So, so my whole early on in my life's pretty boring traditional sports, you know, and then, at the softball game, um, I saw this kid riding a bike and I was like, that's cool. And from that day, I was like, Hey, I want to get into BMX because, uh, all those traditional sports just didn't have the same freedom associated with it. Was BMX popular or was it like a relatively known term at that time? Mm, not for me. I, as far as I remember, I didn't know anything about it. I just saw this bike and like, um, thought that was the coolest thing ever. There was that one guy in our small town, like I want to say the population's 2,500, real small. So there's that one kid riding. Um, and then as I got into it, a couple of my elementary school friends also got into it. So there was a handful of us riding around. But as far as popularity, to my knowledge there, there it was nothing, you know, virtually nothing. I know growing up BMX, I would have no idea what that is. Yeah. I know the biggest thing was like Razor Scooters. I mean, okay. Razor was coming out with video games at the time I had it. And I'm like, I want to be a scooter rider, even though scooter. I can't do anything because I'm going to fall off every single time I go up <laughs> on a ramp or something or try to jump it. Living in a small town, was it kind of nice to have that feeling besides being in a bigger city? Like, for example, with Arizona, like Phoenix or somewhere. Yeah, I think it was good um, because there's a certain sense of freedom. I, I felt like that I got, um, if I wanted to go ride my bike all around town, one, it was easy to do because the town wasn't that big. And, uh, and two, I, I was able to, cause it, people generally are less crazy in the smaller towns. And then, <laughs> then Phoenix, I don't know. I don't think my mom would be okay with me riding around across Phoenix, but she was okay with riding around, um, Benson. Benson was a small town. When you were starting out with bike riding, were you trying to do those tricks that people love to do or was it more just getting comfortable riding the bike so you're not like freaking out your parents being like oh I'm gonna go do this quad flip or something I don't even know if it's a term or (laughs) the the progression aspect I think was the biggest thing that inspired me um like to circle back to the traditional sports where you could work really hard right you could try as hard as you wanted to and like just put in all the effort but if every single person on your team wasn't matching that energy, mm-hmm. uh, your results would kind of just be drugged down by that. And so, um, yeah, having this BMX and like setting those goals for myself, I quickly learned like it's totally what I put into it. So if I put in 110% to learn those tricks, then that's kind of what I got out of it. And so the, once I got my first taste of progression, it was like, I think I just learned a bunny hop. Um, hopped up a curb, ran into a flower pot, flipped over. And I was like, 
that was cool. Like it wasn't really cool, but it was cool to me. Like, like I'd struggled for that trick for a couple of weeks and then I finally got it. And, uh, and then just having bigger goals like backflip and that I could work towards over the next few years really drove my progression. I think if, if I would have just stayed stagnant with it, not doing anything, um, you know, just like anything, if you're not growing at it, it gets kind of boring. You talked about the traditional sports with the team aspect. Were, mm. When you were in those scenarios, were you kind of an individual or did you get along with other kids or how did that kind of interaction? Is that maybe why you kind of were drawn to BMX because it was kind of an individual sport? That's a good question. Um, and I never really thought too much about that. Like later in my life, recently, especially I've learned that. I'm kind of a control freak and things like that. <laughs> and so like just different conversations I've had, it all circles back to like me wanting to control my own results and throughout life. So that was thinking back to it, like undoubtedly that was it. It was like, I hated that. I couldn't have any control over it. And uh, yeah, that was a big reason for it for sure. I think so many of us can actually agree to that because if one teammate doesn't play well, you can't control what their attitude is like because yeah. they're just going to do whatever they want. And then if you start getting involved, then it's just going to start arguing and you're yeah. like 10 at the time. You shouldn't be starting drama <laughs> with kids. Right. That's like a, a class project. You get the project and there's always one or two kids that actually work on it and uh, one or two that don't work on it. And so what happens is the team succeeds, not at the level that they should succeed at, but it also builds like a lot of resentment inside of there. Um, I definitely was able to get along with everyone in there, but I would get frustrated with them. You know, it's like, I don't know. I feel like I'm doing my best and you see this guy just kind of fucking off and then you're like okay well, come on and uh so frustrating but doing that on my own it was good because you don't have to worry about that which i don't know i think it's kind of a problem later on in life like you once you figure things out like the right approach to it would have been um trying to lead and inspire the team right to mm -hmm. to be motivated to push for those results but as a kid it's just like screw these guys i'm gonna <laughs> do my own thing <laughs> I always thought, well, I only see them one time a week. It's like, look, I'll just leave them and I don't have to right. see them for six days until the next game. If you didn't find BMX, do you think any of those sports you would have continued doing? I know it's crazy to think now looking back at yeah. that, would you have done one of those sports continually? Um, I'm not sure. I, Yeah, that's hard to say because... So the high school I went to, we didn't have any traditional sports. So I was fortunate that I had BMX kind of as my distraction, you know, to do everything. But um, if I didn't have that, I don't know, maybe I'd like just do drugs and party or something. Oh. I think that's kind of, that's the high school experience if you don't really have a passion, my opinion. But <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. None of them, I think few people find something that really stands out to them. Like where, like I went to a summer camp um, 2018 and worked there for free, right? Worked there completely for free all summer. And what I got in exchange was to stay at this summer camp with all kinds of skate parks. And so like, I think there's very few things that people come across in their life where they have that passion for it, where they're willing to do it um, at a loss for themselves. And uh, none of the traditional sports were like that for me. Like I wouldn't do that for baseball or football mm -hmm. or anything like that. And the people who would, I think are the very successful football players. So, you know, but it just wasn't my thing. <laughs> <laughs> Growing up, did you have anyone that motivated you or inspired you? Mm, in the sports aspect or just, just in, in general? general? I mean, maybe in the sports area, maybe, or just in general. Well, I'd say my, uh, that kid that got me into it, he was, he's probably 10 years older than me. Um, and so I would always, when I started, I was just an annoying little kid, right? He wouldn't give me the time of day, but as I progressed and stuff, like we'd, uh, we'd occasionally ride together and it was always good to be around that, like surrounding yourself with people who are a level above you. And he definitely inspired me. Um, I think, my, my mom not necessarily inspired me, but they did a lot just to get me on that track. Like 
they bought me my bike, my first bike when I was 13, take me to different skate parks. And, um, and so without that kind of support, I wouldn't have had the passion for it either. Um, because they got me around, like we'd go to Tucson and I could be around different people who ride in Tucson and, and just meet those, uh, inspirations. But I don't think early on, it's weird to think now, like with Instagram, it's so easy for a, a teenager to have those idols, but I don't think I really did. It was just like, I'm just going to go ride my bike today and see what happens. That's so true. I think growing up, unless you watched it on TV or something, yeah. you, those are probably, but with social media, you can find someone instantly and yeah. I guess connect with them or network and then they're your idol already. Yeah. So I think it's definitely a difference at times where the kids nowadays, well, they can just go on Instagram or Facebook and they can find someone during our times. It's you had to watch them or have heard of them. In a yeah. Time. Stumble across it on TV or a magazine, I guess it's a lot harder. Would you say, I know that during certain times that BMX writing had a stereotype of the image that that person looked like or what their atmosphere was like. Was that something that you've seen or was it just a group of people that just enjoyed it, but it was all different kind of experiences, backgrounds in the mix of people? Hmm. So the stereotype, right? Generally like, like druggy, punky type, right? Yes. Like skater, that kind of thing. Um, Yeah. So that's for me where I was at, I'd say out of everyone. So elementary um, years. It was like my group of friends that we'd ride together who were, we were all solid. Um, and then probably the other half, the other three or four were kind of just like, they weren't super bad. I don't know. One was pretty sketchy, but they weren't super <laughs> bad. Um, but they were that stereotype. And I think, I don't know what it is, but it seems like the different parks I end up with where there's more of like a a serious presence, like people who are serious about it more so than just to kind of get out of the house and go hang out at the skate park. Um, you don't have that as much. Um, my first real experience with it. So the small town didn't have much. And then I ended up moving to uh, New Mexico to go to high school and we had a decent sized park and I made a lot of friends who were about 10 years older than me. And they kind of took me in and we'd go on road trips and things like that. But one time we were at the skate park and I think this guy was asking people for pills or something. I just like a skater guy, you know, there's a bunch of kids. He's just walking around. He's like asking for pills and stuff. And, and one of my friends Chase, like, bro, get out of here. Like this is a skate park, you know? And so like, I was fortunate to be around a really good influence like that. And, uh, but generally I'd say maybe 50, 50, um, recently it's been less since the, like I'd say Olympics and just BMX is becoming more mainstream over the last few years. It's parents are, buying bikes for their kids, not to get babysat, but more to like experience the sport with them. So there's a lot more of a parent presence around the park and things like that. And I think that's kind of changed things, but early on it was about 50, 50, I'd say. So you mentioned you were in high school and you were traveling Mm -hmm. with these people that were 10 years older. Was that kind of like, was that common to with in that kind of industry that it was always a big age gap? I mean, it's almost like even in a business, you could be friend like I'm friends with people that are double my age. So yeah. it's like it's common then, but was that kind of were you getting along with them besides BMX? Like could you guys find like common things that you guys enjoyed? Not really. Um, I'd never do much else. Like I'd go to the park. My grandma would take me to the skate park or these, uh, the friends would go on the road trips, like I said, but, um, aside from that, we really didn't do much. Um, and I probably was the age gap. Like one time we took a trip to Vegas and I think I was 17. We had a good friend there who's, he's like really talented on a bike. So we went up there, um, and just spent the weekend riding. Um, but we had breakfast at one of the hotels or one of the casinos. I can't remember what it was, but they're all, you know, gambling beforehand. And I'm just standing there watching. I got kicked out. I'm like, oh, this sucks. And so like, there's a lot of things that I couldn't do with them. Um, but it seems like that age gap is pretty prominent. Like now I'm the 25 year old, you know, riding with the 15, 16 year olds. And it's kind of weird, but in a sense, it's like, they were in the position where they could help me out with parts or take me on trips. And like, 
which ultimately helped me become a lot better at riding. And so maybe I feel like I owe it to anyone that I encounter who's serious about it to give back to it um, and help them progress too. But yeah, aside from riding that you don't really do, do too much. (laughs) So it's almost like a mentor protege kind of style. Yeah, I'd say for sure. Yeah. That's that. Yeah. That's definitely, I was thinking when you were saying that, I'm like, I see this as a mentor protege. Like they were like mentoring you so that when you got to their age, that you were kind of bringing up the next generation of BMX riders. Yeah. And now those, that group here in uh, Las Cruces specifically, like now, now that I'm older, we'll hang out. Like we went, we cooked seafood and just did, you know, different things. We, we do more than just ride now. Um, But yeah, at the time, nothing, nothing like that. So now you can go to Vegas and gamble. Right. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) What we are sometimes always asked, what's that dream job that we were wanting? What was that dream job that you were wanting as you were growing up? I think it was always, um, I wanted to be pro for sure. It's like, once I got that taste of progression, um, I don't know. So for riding, riding for me was always like a way to escape reality, right? Like Mm -hmm. some people get drunk, some people, whatever, everyone has their own escape. And, uh, and that I'm fortunate that that was it for me. And once I kind of had a taste of that, it was like, this is all I want to do. And so then I was like, if I could become pro get paid to do this, like that's a win-win, you know, especially travel, um, going on the trips with those guys, you meet different people, you have different experiences, you get to see different things. And so I was like, okay, I do that, but not spend any of my own money, ride mm-hmm. bikes. Like that's a win-win. So that was always my dream with it. Was it easy to go, like go down that path to become pro? Cause sometimes, I mean, I know there's skaters that are 13 in their pro and even especially with the olympics now there's like these kids that are pro level and it's like what was i doing at that age nothing (laughs) right playing uh yeah um i don't think i'd say it's really tough really really tough i think with social media and everything right now it's easy to see like the one percent um like we we get thrown those high achievers in our face constantly because that's what people like to see and it gives everyone the false reality that it's achievable like especially for me i was like oh i'm pretty good like at, when i was 16 17 i feel like i was definitely good enough to get a serious sponsor and do all this and but i don't think my like maturity and my headspace was right for it um and so there's there's a lot more that goes into it than just the skill but if you have the connections, I'd say it's easy. Um, just like anything, you know, if you, if you know the right people who can kind of push you along, um, and not just for progression, but push you into those spots where, you know, I see kids in California that are riding around the, the pro team constantly. So then it's like, Oh, we know this guy. We like this guy. It's easier to, to hook them up and help them go through it. Um, once you, I think you have a limited window there between when you start riding to the time you turn 17, 18, if you're able to juggle school, high school on top of that. Uh, and by the time you're 18, what usually happens, um, everyone chases that dream until then. And then you get a girlfriend, you get a car, you get a real job and it all goes away. And so if you're not really able to hit it by that point, um, that dream is like really, really hard to achieve. And so depending on when you start, what kind of training facilities you have, it it makes it tough because it's a tough timeline for sure. Did you know you had to make those sacrifices or was like college wasn't a thing because BMX was your life and you wanted to pursue that long-term? It was, let's see. So the reason I went to New Mexico was to go to a early college high school. So it was a high school where I'd graduate with my associates did I want to do that? No, absolutely not. But my grandparents wanted me to, and I wanted to make them happy. So, so I went to do that. And, uh, and that town here in Las Cruces has a better park than the one I had in Benson. So I was like, okay, I'll go do this. Like I'll be around the skate park and like, I- I'll be able to get better from it. Um, and then I was like, I'm going to be a chemical engineer. So that's kind of what I was studying for my associates. And then I said, I hate chemistry <laughs> and yeah, hate it. So I took a cop out and it was uh, creative media. And I figured with creative media, if I never go pro, I could still be in the industry um, mm-hmm. doing, you know, photography, whatever, whatever it may be. And so 
that was kind of the sacrifice I ultimately made. And it worked out because I, I don't know, it was, it was a high stress high school for sure. Cause we were doing college. Like we finished high school in two years and got our associates in the last two. Um, but my grandparents, like my grandma would drive me to the park every night for an hour, as long as I did my work and, and whatnot. So it was a high stress thing. Um, but this, I think the sacrifices I made were ultimately, um, more towards the longevity of staying in the sport and not necessarily, um, becoming pro like towards the end of high school, nothing really happened, um, for me. So I was like, well, what do I do now? Like, I got to get a job like that, that timeline kind of ran out for me. So it's like, how can I still stay in it? And what do I need to sacrifice to get there? I like that your story, you talked about pivoting in a different direction, but it still was able to incorporate your love for bike BMX. And I think a lot of kids in college should take that kind of situation or scenario and do the same thing. If you enjoy something, but you're not liking what you're doing in school, try something in a different direction that you can still enjoy both. And I think people can find their passion go even higher because they're able to do that. And obviously seeing like your content creation that you're doing with YouTube, it definitely shows now that creative media is kind of the right way that you went with it. Yeah, I think it was a good move for sure. It was never, I always felt kind of uncomfortable on camera and stuff like that. I think as everyone does, but um, it, it was like, well, I know how to create content. So let's just start putting stuff out there and see how it goes. Um, my biggest fear was always like, you just see so many people in life, like that, that timeline that I was talking about runs out and, uh, you, you sell out, I think for nice things. And that's, that's good if, if that's what you want ultimately, but like 40 hours a week for the rest of your life is like what to retire for 10, 15 years, like while you're old and you can't do anything anyway. It's like, to me that that's never, ever, ever, ever ever something that interested me. And so I always, I see people doing that too. It's like, we, we sell out, um, we get in debt for college. We have to pay off debt. We get a car, we get a house, we got to do that. And so like any sliver of passion that we had left goes out the window to pay the bills and like, man, what a miserable life. I don't know if anyone's listening, like that's you, like find your passion again, but, uh, <laughs> it's uh, yeah, I, I just could never do that. So going the creative route has helped me stick with it. And, uh, yeah, I think I can relate with the creativity side. I think any job that I go for, I'm like, how can I be creative in a way? Like that is a skill. And I always say, if they don't offer it, how can I able to convince them? Like, Hey, I got this skill set that you don't have anyone that can do that. So let me showcase what I'm able to do. And that's kind of how this kind of show came about is this gave me a creative outlet to showcase my skills that maybe a job or an employer wasn't able to let me showcase in a way. Did injuries ever happen? I mean, knowing me, if I tried what you were doing, (laughs) I would probably be with broken bones knowing me, knowing my luck, but was injuries ever anything that you had happened to you? Very few. Um, yeah, I think, let's see, the first one was probably, um, I broke my hand Ooh. and was I 15, 16, uh, we went on a road trip from New Mexico all the way over to Maryland. Um, but we wanted to stop Joplin, Missouri was my stop because there's a really cool indoor skate park that I wanted to go to. And we got all the way to Tulsa, I think like two stops before Joplin. And I went off a box sideways and broke my hand. And, uh, and that ruined that trip. I cut my, my head open and got some stitches and, um, but that's the only bone I've broke. I've had a couple where like I broke some teeth and cut my, my face, um, rolled ankles. I think I have, I don't know. I've, I think I have two broken ribs that just kind of healed like that, but here's the thing <laughs> I'm talking about that struggle, right? Like chase the passion. Don't. And it's like, doctors are very expensive. So (laughs) it's hard to do that with uh, injuries and then like not having like a real job and stuff like that. But, uh, but yeah, it's only the broken hand really. Have you ever had an injury where you didn't want to go to the doctor? Cause you kind of know what the outcome was probably going to be. 
Like um, you talked about me- medical expenses can get right. expensive and following a career, w- which wasn't making money that much yeah. where you didn't want to have to pay for it. Did you ever hide like an injury? Yeah, probably my ribs for sure. Cause I remember I was like, um, it was at the summer camp and with the trainer, we we're like, well, we could pop it back in. And then she talked to one of her friends and she's like, well, I don't know. She thinks that they could be broken. We don't want to like hurt it more. And, and I'm like, well, I'm not going to go, you know, they'll just heal anyway. Like what would they do? And then I did something to my knee that bugs me from time to time. But what I learned is what the doctor would do is put you in a cast, make you wait a few months. And so if you just wait a few months without a cast, you're, you're usually fine. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Just got to keep going with it. So for the listeners that are listening, Douglas and I have a similar challenge that we're going through with type one diabetes. So I want to ask you, talk about the diagnosis and what was going on before you got diagnosed? Because all of us have different stories it's on different, how it yeah. came about. Um, I'm trying to remember how old I was because I was in high school um, and I lived, lived with my grandparents here in Las Cruces and they were gone uh, for, for a few months. So I was staying with a friend and was I a senior? I think I was a junior. I could drive, but like just barely 17, I say 16 (laughs) or 17. Um, so I was pretty late when I got diagnosed, I guess a lot of people get diagnosed a lot earlier, but anyway, um, I was going to the school and I was so tired and I was like on my way to class, I just need energy. Right. So I get a monster and I get some like, um, (laughs) cookie dough, you know, those movie theater cookie dough yes. things, those, I don't know why, but that's what I wanted. And so it was like every morning. And now that I look at it, it's like 150 grams of carb or something first thing in the morning. And, but I was like, Oh, sugar gives you energy. So it's like, I just need energy. I'm really tired. And it got to the point. Um, yeah, I was diagnosed in October. My birthday was late September and, uh, I was just so tired and I couldn't walk upstairs and, then the one that really got me is my tongue was sore. Like anytime I'd eat, like say a pork chop, something salty, um, my tongue would burn. And I was like, this is weird. Uh, so I Googled it and then I had like a list here and I'm like, oh, I have that. I have that. It's like <laughs> diabetes. And it's like the list. So I screenshotted it and I circled all of them and sent it to my mom. She's like, no, it's probably just a cold. And I'm like, oh, it's definitely not a cold. Cause it's been going for like a month now. Right. And um, oh my God, crazy. So that, that was at the time, it didn't seem to me like that bad. Um, it definitely sucked. I mean, and maybe it's easier just to look back on it. But the worst part, I drove myself to the hospital. None of my family was there. And they're like, well, you're under 18, so we can't like do anything unless you have a adult. And I'm like, well, that, that's not good. My dad's in Montana. My mom's in, you know, it's like everyone's spread out. So um, anyway, they called my family. They, they checked my sugar. It was only 400, I think. And um, then they admitted me. And since I was 17, they took me to a children's hospital in El Paso and it's an hour away. So they put me on a stretcher bed and I wasn't allowed to eat anything. My mouth was so dry oh. and they put me in this freaking stretcher bed for children. I'm like six, two. And, uh, and, and I'm like cramping, you know, did you get cramps? I don't know. I got crazy cramps. And so I'm tied down in this thing in the ambulance for an hour with crazy cramps. And they checked it later. It was like around eight. 800 or so. Um, they kept me for a few days until I give myself a shot and figured out everything about it. But like, I hate needles. And so then it was like, well, better get over that real quick. Yep. You know? so, <laughs> um, but yeah, that's kind of what it was. I was, I feel like I was kind of peaking at my riding when that happened too. Um, I was getting pretty good on the bike and everything like that. And, uh, and then just, it, it's like, in a day, everything changes, you know, it's like, nothing's the same. So, uh, so that, that was interesting. It was definitely a challenge to say the least. I think it's just, it amazes me that I've had so many diabetics on my show and every single person had a different story on when, what age were they? I've had some that they were 24 or 25. And then I'm over here, I'm 10 when I got, and you just hear the different stories on the age, like some people live their whole life. And then they went through that college stage where they did whatever they want. But when you were talking about drinking like monsters and cookie dough stuff, before I was diagnosed, I was drinking like 10 Mountain Dews a day. 
And like, I could care less, I could have cared less what I was eating, but I didn't go into the hospital with knowing that I was diabetic. I was in the hospital with bacterial meningitis for a whole week. Then Uh, they're like, oh, you're a diabetic also. I'm like, oh, on top of that, on top of this, (laughs) what? But yeah, and it's just, it's crazy because I'm going up to my 16th year with it. And it's like, wow, like, it's just amazing. The journey you talked about your fear of needles. Yeah. Were you some, did you kind of tell your friends about your condition where they could kind of know if something was happening, they knew how to react. I think that's the biggest thing with diabetics is telling other people and then trying to make sure they understand what they yeah. need to do in a situation. I don't think nobody actually understands. Like people think they <laughs> understand. Nobody understands unless you're like, if you've done it, well, I get in arguments on Facebook groups all the time. It's like these kids, parents trying to micromanage them. And I'm like, I promise you don't know what you're talking about. But anyway, so, <laughs> so with that mindset, I'm always uh, like the few close friends I had, Um, I had a girlfriend that I dated all through high school and she'd give me shots sometimes, but that was pretty much it. Like, I wasn't really close with anyone throughout school. Like I'd just go off, do my own thing. And uh, actually it's funny. Those, that older friend group, we went to Denver um, either after my birthday or right before one of those times, but like uh, we were going up there and I'd have to pee all the time. I'm like, Chase, stop. Like, and we just get, I'd pee on the side of the road, whatever, you know, it's like a nine hour car ride, awful peeing all the time. And then I got there and like, I got donuts and lettuce because I thought they'd balance each other out. And, uh, and so then anyway, so now we talk about it and Chase is like, dude, you were so cranky on that trip and, uh, and moody and stuff like that. And it was like, you know, right before I was diagnosed. So that all makes sense. Um, but anyway, with them, I think we kind of like, they had a rough understanding of it, but I, I think I had the, uh, what is it? What is it? That red thing. You know what I mean? The glucagon. Oh, yeah. And I'm like, Oh, if I, if I pass out, like, just give me this. And that's pretty much the extent of it. Um, yeah. But I, I kind of, it was from my story. I just do my own thing anyway. And so it was the same with that. I was like, well, I'll just figure it out and uh, carry on. <laughs> I, I love the, Donuts, lettuce, they just yeah. balance each other. They balance out healthy, unhealthy. I, I think I was probably that same way growing up. I'm like, this, this works. I mean, I was, ha- I will say, and diabetics listening are probably going to hate this. I would eat chocolate shakes. I'm like, oh, I just need to stab myself, take a bunch of insulin. Yeah. We're going to be fine. No, <laughs> not the best idea. Um, but it's just... I remember the glucagon and they mm. had me practice on an orange. Like oh, really? you had to do the syringe and everything. And I've never had to use it. Knock on wood. Knock on wood yeah. Ever have to do it. And, but like you talked about those, those uh, parent groups and stuff. Mm. I always say that diabetics learn the best from other diabetics because we're all living through it. Yeah. And we know what each other are going through. And I think someone that's on the outside, the worst thing I hate is a non-diabetic telling me how I need to live my life. Yeah, It's like, I know how I am. I appreciate the advice, but don't expect me to listen to it. Right, right. Yeah, and, I appreciate the concern, but. <laughs> yes. And I have definitely, would you say that your diet, health, nutrition changed much? Um, when you were diagnosed, I think it, yes and no. Um, I'd always been, it's weird. I'd go through these periods where I was like super healthy and then super unhealthy. Like I've always been in fairly good shape just cause I riding and exercising so much, but, um, diet was never a big concern of mine, um, until I was diagnosed and then it was still not a huge concern. Um, I don't know. I, I still don't check my sugar as much as I should like <laughs> at all, at, at all. Um, I mean, I do some, when I feel off, like, fortunately I'm yeah. lucky enough, I can feel it. And, um, but m- my motto is still like after however many years it's been where I can tweak things and figure things out that 
there's some days where I can go with damn near no insulin based on the amount of exercise I get and, and how much I ride and how much I eat. Um, and so if I feel like, I don't know. Yeah. I've always been good. If I want to eat something like same with you, the chocolate shakes or something, it's like, I'll just give myself insulin. And, and I've learned to kind of balance that around a bigger meal. So there's more complex carbs inside of it that, that don't drop me super low, but um, it's been a lot of trial and error. And that's, that's the thing. It's like, I don't think I, I took what was told to me, like the doctors aren't diabetic. I had one endocrinologist who was diabetic one time, um, but they just kind of tell you textbook things to follow yep and expect it to work for everyone. And then you see them in a few months and then they'll tweak it. And like, I don't know, I, I think some care, but most don't care. And so like, uh, for me, I could just, well, last time this happened, let's see what happens with this. And I never even practiced the glucagon. I don't, I know how it <laughs> works, but you're telling me that I was like, dang, they just gave it to me and said, good luck. Um, but so, yeah, it's just, for me, it's been a lot of testing different things. And if I, I try and keep it as free as possible. You know, like if I'm going to live the rest of my life, however long it is with these constraints, like, I don't know, is that really, that that's pretty frustrating, you know? So if I can figure out how to live normal in the sense, um, without changing too much, then that's definitely the goal. There's a lot of things that I cut back on, like, uh, I started drinking diet soda instead of regular sugar-free syrup, like things that are really hardcore. Um, I'll cut back, but maybe make some sacrifices here and there so I can enjoy things too. But I love, I don't eat the chocolate shakes now. I'm oh, not there anymore. <laughs> I think it was just, I, I agree. I think it's the age where when you're younger, you're kind of like, ah, I don't care. And yeah. whatever happens. But I think as we get older, it's kind of like, I've been on a, I didn't feel confident in what I looked like. So I was overweight, things like that. And this past year, I had a high A1C. And a lot of people listening are not going to know what that means, but you and I probably yeah, yeah. know what that means. So I had a high and I'm like, I have to change. So I started dieting, fitness, all that. And I have improved so much. And it's kind of like proud, but I always yeah. think, is that sacrifice worth it? Like, am I cutting out things and not still being myself. And I look at, I'm like, I'm still Alex. Like yeah. my friends don't even know I'm doing this, but they can see that I'm still the same person when you're biking. I know things, anytime I'm doing a sport fitness, low blood sugar is a killer. And that takes you out. Do you ever worry about having low blood sugar biking and you're away from like glucose tablets or something and something bad could happen? Oh yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Um, and, and I think that's the thing where we earlier, I was like, you know, your life changes in a day and it's not the sense that you're diabetic, but it's the sense that you've got 6,000 more responsibilities than you've ever had before. And as like, as a teenager, that's just like, dude, that's a lot of stress to think about. It's like, if I'm say in my car driving for an hour to El Paso, like, do I have X, Y, and Z in case this happens? You know, like, I don't know. I could talk for days about crazy, uh, annoying stories that I've hurdles I've had to jump through. Like my license got suspended because a doctor didn't renew my, uh, my thing and like all this <laughs> stuff. And, and it's like, bro, it's so much harder than it should be. Like I just fought, I, I'm still fighting with the pharmacy the last two days going on because, uh, I need Traceba. I'm like, I'm out of it. And they're like, well, we need a prior auth from the doctor. Cause it's a new insurance. And I'm like, yeah, but I'm out of it. Like, shouldn't I just, I, I need it. And they're like, uh, yeah, you know, it, it could take a week. And I'm like, okay, cool. Uh, but just things like that, you've got a lot of extra stress on top of it. So the low blood sugar thing was always, um, tough and it still is because I'll go and, uh, get there to the skate park, start to ride. And then it's like, oh, cool. I'm shaky get in my car, go to the gas station. And it just kills everything. Like the amount of time, I think like a normal person doesn't necessarily have to worry about that. And so I think maybe it's just, if you're going low too often, but you, your time to actually live and be present is cut out by a lot of little responsibilities that you've got to, got to jump through. Um, and with riding one time, I was like real shaky. I go in my car and check it. It's like 37 and I'm all, Oh, that's oh. crazy. Um, and it's hard. 
people don't understand what that's like, but you're just shaky, you're sweaty, you can't speak sentences. It's such a crazy feeling. Um, and it sucks when you're on a bike in the air, you know, trying to <laughs> trying to balance <laughs> yeah. all that. I think when I explain it to family and friends, what I'm going through, I think they have a hard time understanding. And, but even if you look at us or look at me going through it, you're probably not going to notice it because it's mostly it's what's on the inside. But my favorite, I will randomly FaceTime people. I don't remember I'm FaceTiming them. And they're like, do you remember FaceTiming me this morning? And I'm like, what do you mean? I was asleep. No, you were up wide awake talking (laughs) about something. And that scares me sometimes because what's that other person on the other side thinking? Oh, he just wants to talk at seven o'clock in the morning. Is Alex drunk again? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my, sometimes my, um, I had an employer, they thought I was on drugs because of what I was going through. And I'm like, I don't do any of that stuff. I barely drink. So that's the hard thing is they a lot of times like you mentioned this is like with your license because of the diabetes I've had that same experience and it's like it happens there, there's no diabetic that's perfect and I yeah. I saw a meme today um, where it was someone saying that their a uh, their blood sugars are in perfect range 100 percent and the it's like a meme of this woman yelling you're lying you're totally lying <laughs> and I'm like that's so true out they're there. lying. <laughs> what's yeah, the that's biggest funny. what's the biggest thing you've learned about yourself going through the diagnosis with diabetes and it has it kind of correlate to what you've learned about yourself being in bmx the biggest thing i learned from myself um hmm i maybe resilience is a good a good word for it um i don't know because like i said changes in a day and then life's not fair. Maybe that's the one life's not fair. (laughs) Um, because you think it's like, I I think about it all the time. Like, well, why did this happen? You know, like that's why, you know, why? And especially as a teenager, you, you're not like able to hang out with your friends like normal or whatever. And so it's like, life's not fair. And and you kind of pout on it for however long it takes you to get over it. And, um, and then once you get over it and you realize, well, that's, that's good. I, I think it's good to learn that early on too. Cause some people learn that when they're 40 and they get fired from their job that they've been at for 25 years. So, so it's like good to learn it when you're 17 and get over it in a couple of years. But, um, and the fact I see so many people really struggle with it and, um, focus more on, I guess, the negative than the positive. And so for me, I was able to be resilient with it, figure out what works for me, what doesn't work for me and, uh, and keep going and then keep, keep the mindset that life's not fair. And it's been a, it's been good. I think it's helped me, especially with the riding. Um, it's humbled me a lot, um, since then. And I think that helped me build what I'm working on and everything like that. Um, I definitely don't, I hated it at first, but now it's like, I feel like I'm going to die earlier than most people. So that gives me a huge incentive to get, live as much as I can, you know, before I do die. Now, if I live till 80, I'll be like, great. You know, I've lived way past, way longer than I expected, but um, I, I don't know. It gives me a, sh- a short timeline to really enjoy uh, the life. And that's kind of dramatic, but because most diabetics live fairly, you know, we live fine, but you never know life's short. So no, and I, I agree. I think it's it kind of made me think about go do everything you want to do. Don't yeah. look back at time and say, I wish I did this or I regret not doing this. So exactly. bucket list, like start putting things down and eventually I'm going to accomplish them once I'm able to go out there yeah. and go do all that stuff. So talk about your entrepreneurial journey right now. Talk about the different, you have a website, content creation, BMX, is, it's all surrounding BMX, but talk about how those things were created. Um, I don't know why I feel like I need to give backstory. Maybe not, but I will. <laughs> um, so I ended up living in Montana for a while and I worked at a job. I was like, I just need a job so I could ride whatever. And then throughout there, it's like, I had a boss that really um, invested in me. And so like, I learned different aspects of the business and moved up to like, where I was like running it in a few years. And I was like, this is fun. Um, and so then I, I, I don't know, I got a bug for it. We went to like a, he sent me to a management training thing. And so then I went back from this training thing. We we're supposed to have a business plan for like our 
thing that we're running, you know, as a tire shop. And I went back, <laughs> I did a business plan on a food delivery business that I wanted to start. And so I did that and it's a small town in Montana and did my own thing there. And so in that period, I was like, I started the little food delivery thing. I tried to do Amazon FBA. I tried to do um, a different blog, the blog that I have right now, another blog and like, I don't know, a million different things. I was just like, I wanted to create so many different things and go for it. Um, And so that kind of planted the bug in me. And then I learned to just pick something that aligns with the passion and go for it and, and work on it. And so what I've got right now is Dougster Bob, which is the, uh, Nick, the, the email address my mom gave me when I was like really young, she's like, what do you want it to be? And I'm like, I don't know. She's like, okay, it's Dexter <laughs> Bob. And I hated it. Right. It's embarrassing, but uh, the domain was available and I was like, okay, that's my brand. And so that was kind of born in Montana. And the idea was to follow me on my journey when I, I wanted to start competing more. Um, I wanted to, in a sense, inspire diabetics to like, not, you know, it's like, this is, you can travel, you can ride, you yep. can do whatever you want. Like it's not, it's hard. You got to figure it out, but it's totally possible. Um, and so it was kind of a personal blog to go around that. And then it pivoted more into uh, bike content where um, I did bike reviews and stuff like that. And so now it's, my whole goal is to get a million people into the sport. And, uh, and I do that by giving them pretty much everything they need to know about bikes. Um, and, and the humble thing circle back to that, where I said like the diabetes thing really humbled me. It's like, I quickly learned for the most part, people don't really care about what I'm doing. Like, and you'd expect them to, it's like, if I put out a video, Douglas Laird, BMX tricks, nobody's searching for that. Nobody really cares until you're, until you're at that level. Um, and so I was like, okay, well read a lot of books, did a bunch of things. And it's like, well, I'm going to pivot my content um, to be selfless. And so it's like, people are searching for things that help them. And when I switched the brand in that direction, like it's been so much more fulfilling. It's been so much more successful. Like it, it was a crazy shift, um, to do. And so it's kind of, what is it now? I've been, I don't know, maybe two years of really going at it. The last, the, the growth over the last couple of years has been good as I learn more and, and build, um, get comfortable on camera, editing, all that good stuff. And so, so that's kind of the entrepreneurial journey, the whole goal, get a million people into it. And then by that, I'm going to have the passive income so I can travel and ride my bike without being sponsored. Um, and I don't owe anybody anything. I get into it sometimes with people. I make a video where I'm straight up about a product and it's like, Oh, you can't do that. It's like, well, I can, um, you're not paying me to do this. So, so I can. And and that's that, that thing where I just want to do my own thing. Like with BMX, I just want to do my own thing. And so with this, um, I never thought of that aspect of being a sponsored rider where you have to, I don't know, sell out and be fake in a sense to, to have that support. Like they're dangling it over you. And so for me, I'm like, okay, I'm going to grow this. I'm going to be my own, like whatever it's going to provide it for me. And so that's been the, uh, that's been the mission. It's a lot of fun. I love it because it's different every day. What's that number? that you're at right now? How many people have you gotten into BMX? Are you getting closer to that 1 million? Yeah, I'd say, I mean, the way I judge it is uh, by people who get like a free recommendation from me. So it's essentially my email list. And I think it's only uh, 3,500 or something like that. So 1 million is a lofty goal, (laughs) but I love it. Um, But it's, it's weird because I was like, in Phoenix this last week and I go to the park and then there's this kid or this guy and he just like points at me and I'm like, Whoa, he's like, I watch you on YouTube. And I'm like, Whoa, that's crazy. Like to be recognized outside of something. It was just, and it happened a couple of times. I'm like, this is surreal. Um, so I know people are watching it and, uh, and getting into it. And it's so much more fulfilling that that coach mentor thing we touched on for a minute. It's like, if I put all my effort into becoming a good bike rider, and uh, that would get me so far. But what if I could help a thousand people, right? Achieve what I achieved or something like that. Like that's just so much more meaningful. And and for the sport in the economy sense of it, that's a lot more meaningful for the sport that I care about so much. So, um, so yeah, 3,500 will be at maybe 15,000 next year. I don't know. 
Well, and slow. I think BMX is definitely getting a lot of exposure now, especially with like the X Games, the Olympics. I think yep. people are now finding more about it. And there's these personalities that are really showcasing it. So you have like a big market that hasn't been touched and that that number for, can go from 3,500 to even higher in a short amount of time. It just, it all depends on how much exposure we can get out there and people finding out about it. Are you only on YouTube? Like, do you not post anywhere else or things like that besides yeah. websites? Yeah. So I have the website, the YouTube, and at a time I was getting really um, like, I started TikToking in like, I want to say mid 20. Oh, Siri thinks I'm talking to her in like a 20, 19 or so whenever i was in england i really started hitting it hard and i got like 30 some thousand pretty quickly and uh but what i started i don't know maybe i made a bad move i don't know but um the last few months i deleted tiktok deactivated instagram and what else was it pretty much any other social that wasn't necessarily youtube and the website um, I cut it out. I started a different YouTube with a friend to help people progress on the bike after. So they, they get this bike from me, you know, and then they progress. Um, and I just, I would get so distracted watching TikToks or Instagram reels. And like, you watch so many ads too. And we, we're, we're trained to just kind of gloss over it, but you think about it and I've kind of shifted my, my mindset. It's like, okay, I have say a million, 1.3 million likes on TikTok. I've got zero cents from them um, because all those happened before creator fund, creator fund sucks. But um, it's like YouTube's paying me, right? People are clicking through, making affiliate stuff like that. And uh, for me to waste any of my time on any of these other platforms, it's like, do you know Pareto's principle, the 80, 20 rule? So it's like, 80% of results are because of 20% of actions and things like that. Like um, 20% of people commit 80% of the crimes. It's a universal thing and and it's really scarily accurate. But anyway, it's like 80% of my results and stuff come from those 20%, which is just YouTube and my website. Um, So I cut back on that to really focus on the content I want to do and figure out how to automate everything else. And I'm going to start it. It's supposed to be this month, maybe, maybe mid February, I'll have it set up so I can just automate all the posts and not touch it. So I don't get distracted, but, um, but yeah, long answer. Yeah. YouTube and website. (laughs) So the automated would be like those other accounts that you deactivated or just YouTube and TikTok. Yeah. No, bring the other ones back. Um, and, and have everything scheduled out online. So I don't use the app, you know, things like that. Um, but yeah, because I feel like there's a certain like reach i can get the reach from people but um it doesn't correlate directly to income so mm-hmm. well maybe you need to start doing tiktok dances on tiktok with yeah. your bike in the photo and people would be like oh now i know what he's trying to do right <laughs> <laughs> looking at your journey with bmx are you surprised at what the outcome has been or do you feel that you talked about earlier that you wanted to be a pro and kind of go into that, do those tournaments and things like that. Are you happy at where you are? Cause you're still making a difference in the community. Yeah. Um, I mean, you're, you're still young. So, I mean, you could still go win those tournaments gold medals and all that. So (laughs) I know I'd have to start. I thought about it. Um, Like I took a trip to England for um, a few months. And that was my goal was just to compete and really go hard at it. And it was a good experience. Um, but I also realized I wasn't as good as I thought I was, or maybe I just get too nervous too. That was another thing. Um, but anyway, yeah, no, I'm very content right now, but I also have really lofty goals. So it's like, um, I look at it and I'm like, cool, I'm very happy where I'm at, but I'm not where I ultimately want to be. So it's, Will I ever get there? Probably not. Aim high, miss high, but whatever. Um, Yeah, it's like I said, it's so nice to have that, see those things from people where it's like, bro, you helped me find a bike. Like, thank you so much. And da, 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 da. That's to me, that's way more than, uh, than winning a contest. And uh, yeah, what what I learned with it was like, like I said earlier, I was like, I, I felt like I was there. I was good enough, you know? And, uh, and then nothing happened. And so then I also learned nobody owes you anything. Nobody Mm -hmm. owes you 
nobody owes you. So um, to go and build it on my own, I, I'm very happy with that because uh, I just have to make it, you know, you have to make it yourself. And, and it's been a fun journey. Is there a dream park or a place that you want to bike at one day um, that you haven't visited yet? Hmm. I don't, maybe I'm weird. I don't really fantasize too much about different <laughs> parks. Um, Chandler in Phoenix, best skate park ever, in my opinion. And so that's only a few hours away. So I could bop over there and go anytime. But there's a, there's a certain aspect of the sport where you're just chasing new experiences. And so there's a, a full pipe. So it's a drainage ditch somewhere in California, but a lot of people take that trip out there and go just to ride this full pipe or an abandoned skate park in the middle of some town that you got to hike 10 miles to. And <laughs> like that kind of thing's really cool, but I wouldn't like drop everything to go do it. You know, it's like not on the bucket list, but if it happened, I'd be like, this is a great story. I could tell people. Um, but yeah, no, no, no avid chase in skate parks. Well, you got to come back to Joplin. I mean, I'm from Missouri, so. Oh, are you from Missouri? Yeah. When you said Joplin, I'm like, there's a skate, there's something famous in Joplin. I mean, well, had, I mean, the only thing in Joplin was a, that's known that as tornado. tornado. Yeah. Um, we went up there a couple, we were there maybe a week or two after the tornado we came through. Uh, Joplin had, it was called Autumn Ramp Park. It was inside a church and uh, they had a huge church at a skate park and it was, it was pretty cool. Um, they got rid of it and now they don't really have a good skate park. And St. Louis has, and I think they got rid of that one too. It was inside the mall. They had a oh, skate park there. Yes. The St. Louis mills. I remember yep. I've big park. I, yes. I mean that, man, that is, that's been gone. Well, they're trying to turn it in. They're calling it the powerplex now, but I don't think they've done anything with the it. mall. Yeah, the mall. Uh, it's tur- they were going to knock it all down. Um, it used to be the training facilities for the St. Louis Blues, and now they're hmm. somewhere else. But they were going to knock it all down or build inside of it like a bunch of like sports facilities and stuff. So it could have came back, but I don't think that. I think COVID happened, and yeah. they just, we're not doing anything right now. Put so. a stop to that. But Google Maps says it's called the Powerplex. So. <laughs> <laughs> Looking at the future, what are you hoping to accomplish personally and professionally in the next couple of years? Hmm. You kind of touched on the professionally, but is there anything personally that you want to accomplish or any like dream goals? I, I mean, I think ultimately I just want to be able to, <clears throat> if I felt like say going to Phoenix right now, and uh, staying there for a month that I could do that. Like if, if have everything self-sustainingly remote and then it's like go to travel and ride different skate parks without the stress of, um, of anything, you know, just, that would be amazing. Cause then I could just go check out this park, chill here for a while. And that that's the ultimate goal. Um, personally, I think just being surrounded by that, where it's something you're free and you're passionate about it. It's like, life is a lot happier and that's should be what everyone chases is just where they feel um, satisfied with their life at the, at the current point. And so that's where I'm at. I feel like my life will be satisfied if I have um, enough passive income coming so that I can just bop to any, any skate park and stay there for a while. You're in Arizona. Is that correct? Uh, New Mexico, New Mexico. Do you feel that you're going to be in New Mexico forever or do you ever feel like, like you feel like you're going to live somewhere else eventually. Yeah. It's in my, my five-year plan to be in either Phoenix or uh, San Diego or Miami. Phoenix is really hot <laughs> during the summer, but one of those three spots I'd be pretty content with San Diego, and Miami are expensive. So if I, if I'm too poor then Phoenix, it is, I guess, but <laughs> it's, you got the West coast and then all the way on the yeah. East coast. <laughs> one or the other, no in between. Well, you, all those places you name, it's all nice weather. At least you're not going to be in the Midwest where you don't know yeah. what the weather is going to be like every single day. <laughs> yeah. When I lived in Montana, that that was it. I didn't get to ride all winter. And it was like two years, three years in a row. And I'd never experienced that. I'd always been able to like, 
oh, it's cold. Like maybe 32, it gets here. Like right now it's probably in the thirties and uh, I'll just put a jacket on and go ride the skate park at night. And then Montana, it's like, I'd take our, our uh, little tractor from work and drive it to the skate park to plow out snow paths so that I could ride when I wanted to terrible. It was just terrible. So the weather in different places is always a huge factor for me when I'm thinking about where I want to be next because can't ride in the cold. No. The final question I'll ask you for someone that's listening to this interview based on your journey and experience, what tips or advice would you give them to overcome obstacles, accomplish their goals and rise to the challenge? So I'm going to say part of the answers in the question is the goal part, right? I think a lot of people try to accomplish something without actually having a goal. And so you need to set that goal for sure. And, and be totally content that that goal might change. It's going to change, but just have the goal in general. And then, uh, and then you have that goal in your sights and uh, work towards it. Also pivot, you know, it, the goal is going to change, but also your approach to it's going to change. It's, it's got to change. If you try a thousand things, you might find a couple ways that work, but if you try 10 things, you're never going to run into anything. So uh, fail fast and fail successfully. And I think that'd be it, but have a goal, man, have a plan. It'll help you get there. And uh, because when, when you have that, you know, you can rise to anything, you can overcome it. And uh, without it, you're just kind of not doing anything. <laughs> That's not very fun. So, well, Douglas, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show and talking about your rise to the challenge. You're inspiring so many people and we're excited to see what the future looks like for you. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Alex. Tune in next time to hear my next guest talk about their rise to the challenge. Remember to follow and subscribe on all major audio platforms. Make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel to the full-length episode and video format. What path will you take to accomplish your goals? You decide.